Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we'll begin our journey this morning. A very special day in the heart and the life of a church. Any opportunity that we have to come to the Lord's table, to have communion, to eat of this supper. And this morning, I want to share what the Lord's put in my heart this week. You say, why are we doing communion during the middle of emphasis for missions? We're talking about missions and going and taking the gospel. Well, if we'll notice the pattern in the New Testament and if we'll notice how Jesus even prepared his disciples, his followers, we'll see that it is very necessary to have communion before commission. Communion before commission. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence yet again. And Lord, it has been so wonderful to be in your presence. God, I praise your holy name for what you did at the eight o'clock service, how my heart was encouraged, how your spirit was so real and abundant. Lord, we thank you for the choir that has sang with power and with passion, God, with fervency. Lord, we thank you for the people that are here And Lord, now we pray that the seriousness of what we're getting ready to partake in, the weight of what this means, God, would ring true in all of our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, we pray now that you would take over the atmosphere of this place. Lord, we pray for a holy hush of still and calm to calm our minds. God, that we would be captivated by the word of God and nothing else. God, we need you. We are hungry for something from your word. We need it. Sustain us now. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your servant. Cleanse me of any imperfection before I touch Holy Scripture. And God, use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, the church prays. Amen and amen. In a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table and partake from the Lord's Supper as we remember Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His suffering, all of this that He accomplished on the cross. And I want to dive right in to some of these words given by the Apostle Paul. Through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he penned some very important things as it pertains to this very important supper. Know this and guard this in your heart very, very carefully. The Lord's Supper, communion, coming to the Lord's table is a very holy and intimate time with the Lord. It's a very special sacrament that God has given to us. It's very important that we understand the weight, the importance that God himself has established in this sacrament. It is not simply a cute little cup with juice and cracker. This is a moment of worship and adoration. And the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 11 some insight into this sacrament that we're getting ready to take together. 1 Corinthians 11, go to the 23rd verse. Paul says this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup, And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Last week we looked at post-resurrection instructions from Jesus Christ to his faithful followers. And we looked at that, what we know as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Let me go back to that. Let's read those few verses. Let's look at what was said here. This is after Jesus has resurrected prior to his ascension. He says in verse number 6 of Matthew 28, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then Jesus instructs his followers, his disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If you missed that message last week, we talked about what it means to be a Christian consumer versus someone that is on Christ's mission. Every person that's in the faith, every believer that's here, God has called you for specific purpose and for his glory to be salt, to be light, and be commission-minded in all that you do. It's our life. It's our lifestyle. Uh, church, our walk with Christ, everything that encompasses our faith is not simply something that happens on Sunday that I check a box and then that's it. It's who I am. It's what I'm a part of. And it's so important that we understand what the commission is, what the instruction was, and understanding even as Brother Taru mentioned in his video, some of us are not going to go to Miramar. Some of us will never step foot in Sri Lanka. We'll never go to the headhunting tribes all over the, 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 the Southeast Asian island. That will never happen for us. But we can give and we can pray and we can even call others into action. That was much of that message last week. We are called to obey his commission. Let me just say this very quickly. Christians are to obey Christ. Christians are called are expected to, are mandated to be obedient to Christ and to the word of God. And from last week, we understand clearly that we are all called to roles and responsibility. His commands are doings. And we are to ask ourselves, as we did last week, again today, am I just simply a consumer or a spectator? Or am I one who is living out what Christ expects of me? Uh, there can be no expectation of great blessing if there is no obedience in our life. And we'll continue today to ask ourselves that question. But what we're going to stake, we're really going to take a step back in our timeline here, our biblical timeline, and we're going to pay attention closely to the preparation that was made, the investment that Jesus made into his disciples prior to even his death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, everything that's happening in the final weeks of Jesus' life is leading up to the commission that he's going to give them after he has resurrected. And so here we are, and it's in the last few moments of Christ's ministry, and he's preparing his disciples. We come to Passover and a Passover dinner, a special time together, a communion was initiated to prepare them for the challenge 
for the responsibility that was coming. And again, what we must embrace today is that prior to commission, there must be communion. Before you get marching orders, you have to know the heart of the general. I know we're going and I know what we're teaching and I understand the commission, but what is the why of the commission? What is the heart of the commission? What is to be represented in the commission? What do we do? How do we do it? And why are we doing all of this? Well, actually, Jesus had already answered that for the disciples and he did it because he did communion prior to giving commission. So let's look at communion, the Lord's Supper, coming to the Lord's table together. I want to give you some facts and we've taken quite a bit of time each time we've taken the Lord's Supper the past year to really explain what we are doing And we've gone a different direction almost every time, looking through a different lens, a different aspect. But today I want us to get back to the very basic foundation, the fundamentals of what communion is. Because listen to me very closely, in missions emphasis, why we give to faith promise, why we do what we do, why we support so many missionaries, you'll never be able to understand the commission, the great commission, the command and orders from our general, our king, our sovereign, Jesus Christ. You'll never know completely what you are to do and how you are to do until you understand communion. Communion before commission. What is communion then? Number one, communion is for those in the faith. Communion is for those in the faith. This is not a community dinner. This is not a dinner that has a place for every single person In the community. This dinner, this supper has been prepared for those who are already part of the family. Only family is allowed at this table for this meal. Now, this meal is open to anyone in the family. Mom and dad can come to the Lord's table. The children can come to the Lord's table. The teenagers and young adults, all in the family, are welcome to the table. But this sacrament, this supper, is a privilege only for family members. No one is going to force their way into this family or to this dinner. It is an invitation affair only. Only the Father can send the invitation and you can know people at the table. You can have a lot of money in your pocket and feel that you deserve a place at the table But only the Father can send the invitation and only the Father knows when it's time for the invitation to be sent so that you can be drawn in and brought to dinner. That is the work and that is the business of the Father. But it is for those in the faith. He will draw you to this supper. He will persuade you that you need to come to this supper. And then once you have your seat at the table and it's time for you to eat from the Lord's table, he being the father will give you the confidence that you need to feel as if you belong at the table. This is something for those who are in the faith. John 10 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, 
neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We are his children, we are his sheep, and when he calls us for dinner, we know his voice and we follow his voice and he brings us to the table for communion. Communion is for those who are in the faith. And if you're here today, you're lost and you're undone without Christ, this is not to separate you and make you feel worthless and completely cut off. But what you will have to do today is inspect from the outside looking into what God has available for you, the free gift of the invitation. But all of that is up to the Father. It's his business. It's his table. Secondly, communion was initiated by Christ himself. You say, why is communion still so important? Why should we follow communion? Isn't that a Baptist tradition or a Methodist tradition or is it a Catholic tradition? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. we just read it. For I have received of the Lord that which also I deliver unto you. Here it is, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Have confidence in communion. Have confidence that you should do communion. Understand that communion, t- taking from the Lord's table, is a necessity. Not because the Baptists do it. Not because the Methodists do it. Not because any other pastor or person does it. But because the Lord Jesus Christ himself did it. And he calls us to his table even today. Communion was initiated by Christ. I love trends. I love understanding trends. I love understanding popular movements and what takes place and what happens. But don't you love being able to come and do something within a worship service where you remember the Lord Jesus Christ and you know without a shadow of a doubt that the initiation, that the reason you are doing so is because Jesus himself did it. Boy, that's special. Communion was initiated by Christ himself. Thirdly, communion is a reminder of Christ's body given for us. Christ's body given for us. The Apostle Paul said that Jesus took that bread. This is the night he's betrayed, verse number 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. You have to remember, our pastor emeritus has preached and he has taught us all of his ministry that we must embrace the Jewish side of our New Testament, of our Bible. We must embrace the fact that these men at this table, at this final Passover, were Jews through and through. It was their tradition, it was their understanding, and they are by faith following Jesus as Messiah. But when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it, even though they have been listening to him teach and even though they have been listening to him preach, not everything that Jesus said to the disciples made sense to them. And for Jesus to take bread and break it and say, this is my body, take and eat, it would have been very difficult for the disciples to process all that was taking place. But you see, Jesus knew the hearts and the minds of these Jewish men. And so Jesus chooses to have the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, as a new, beautiful modification to what these Jews already knew as Passover. 
And it, to the Jew, there was nothing more sacred, the celebration of the exodus from Egypt. And now Jesus has made himself, if you read in this gospel, that Jesus has made himself the, the central symbol in both ceremonies, Passover and now the Lord's Supper, the sacrament that we now take today. And what he was symbolizing himself to be at the table with these Jewish boys sitting there with them is that he would be the Paschal Lamb or the Lamb that would be sacrificed at Passover time. And Jesus was telling his disciples, here in a little while, they're gonna take my body, they're gonna whip me, they're gonna nail me, they're gonna scourge me, and I will become that Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, except when I die, when I give my body, it will be a perfect sacrifice and it will change redemptive history for time and eternity. We remember today the body of Jesus Christ given for us. One holy lamb that was given his body bruised, his body ripped open, but according to the prophet Isaiah, not one single bone would be broken. And I believe with all of my heart that when Jesus came off of the cross, not one bone was broken in his body. His body was given as the perfect sacrifice. Number four, communion is a reminder of Christ's blood shed for us. You have to understand what a covenant is and that covenants, promises made between man and God are always ratified, are always made official with blood sacrifice. Blood was always going to be the requirement. If man was to have any hope, if man was to have presence and audience with God, if man was to ever have his sins forgiven, it would take blood being shed. Even back when Noah got off the ark, Genesis 8, 20, and Noah building an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar, shed blood so that God would make a covenant. Genesis 9, 8 through 17, and God spake to Noah and to his sons with him saying, and I behold, I establish my covenant with you and your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a token of the covenant which I've made between you and between me and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in a cloud and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature all flesh and the waters shall no more become a flood and destroy all flesh and the bow shall be in the cloud and I being God will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living 
creature. God said, Noah, I saw the sacrifice. I see the blood. I'll make you a promise. I'll make a covenant between you and me. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it says in God's word that not only do you see the rainbow, but that God's looking at the rainbow and that he remembers the promise that he made with Noah. But, but, before the promise was made, before the covenant could be ratified, blood had to be shed. It took blood. It took blood with Noah. Blood was required for the covenant with Moses. After a long season of dark nights in the heart and the soul of Israel, dawn breaks. God calls Moses with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. He liberates his children out of Egypt from bondage. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground and they receive food from the sky. Manna rained from heaven and water came from the rock. God leads Moses and he comes to Mount Sinai. And here God makes a solemn covenant with Israel to confirm and to undergird the covenant that had already been made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. But before God reinstitutes all that had been put in place and gives Moses 10 commandments to come off the mountain with, he looks at Moses and he says, Moses, it's gonna require blood. And Moses went up to God. This is Exodus 19, three through six. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain. And God said, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, that ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice and deed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses comes down the mountain and he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Blood was required for Noah and the promise that God made him. Blood was required for Moses and to reestablish the workings of the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses comes down off the mountain and he sprinkles blood all over the people. And he said, God heard me, God seen us, he loves us, and he's made us a promise. And it was established in blood. 2,000 years later, right outside of Jerusalem on a mountain little knoll called Golgotha, there they led the body and the blood of Jesus to the cross where he laid himself down. He didn't fight, he didn't scream, he didn't call battalions of angels to come and rescue him. He laid on the cross willingly and he saw you and he saw me and he said there must be bloodshed just like Noah, just like Moses and Jesus. Jesus said, I will give my blood a new promise, a new covenant that Winston doesn't have to die and go to hell, that I'll close the chasm between God and man. And Jesus shed his blood just for me. Every covenant, every promise God has ever made with his people, he made it in blood. And when you hear a song, when you think of a verse that points to the blood of Jesus, you should think 
about the promise that was made when he paid for you. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of all peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I have access to that. That's me. I'm a sheep and I have access through and by Jesus. First John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I said all, every single solitary, single sin. When God looks at me, he doesn't see 36.2% of my sin and hold it against me. When God looks at me, he doesn't see half of my sin and hold it against me. Not just 75% of my sins have been forgiven. According to this, the blood of Jesus paid the price for all, all, every single last one of my sins to be paid. Then why do Christians operate in guilt and shame if it's been forgiven. Why then should we ever look at anything but victory because we're living in tabernacles made of flesh who are still living in a sin-sick, broken world. But today we come to the table to remember the blood shed for us, his body given for us, all accomplished on the cross at Calvary. Are you thankful for the blood of your Savior? Lastly, and very cautiously, number five, communion is never to be taken by someone who is unworthy or unprepared. I want you to pay attention very close to what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. the Apostle Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Family, the expectation is for us to come to the Lord's table clean. Clean. This is not salvation. Let me show you the parallel between coming to the Lord's table and taking the sacrament and salvation. When I got saved, I was dirty, I was broken, I was destitute, and I was on my way to hell. I was filthy, I had nothing to offer. And yet, even in my disgusting condition as a sinner, the Holy Ghost of God said, Winston, it's your time, supper's ready, the invitation has been sent. And he stayed on me like a hound dog on a hot trail. And he ran me down and convicted me and showed me Christ even though I was dirty, filthy, and unworthy. I was nasty. I was a sinner who needed a savior. And when I got saved, I got saved dirty. You see, some people think that they have to go get cleaned up before they come to Jesus, before the Holy Ghost of God will do what he does, that somehow we have to have a religious exercise, light a candle, say a few words. But when Jesus saves someone, when the Holy Ghost convicts someone, 
The cleaning comes after. He takes you right as you are where you're at. But when you come to the Lord's table, those that are in the faith, the expectation is that you've washed up for dinner, that you're clean. If we believe the Bible to be true, then we should come to the table today with fear and with trembling and respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying that how you feel determines your unworthiness. How you feel determines your readiness even to come to the table. An unworthy receiving of the Lord's table is when evil dispositions and beloved sins are not laid aside and forsaken prior to communion. Petty sin that you know and maybe you think no one else knows but God knows. And if it feeds your flesh and you love it and you refuse to repent, to turn away from it and turn towards light, toward, turn towards truth, and you know it and God knows it, do not touch the cup. It's very, very clear here that if you were to take of this cup unworthily, the Bible says that you would be guilty of the same evil that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's heavy. Why is it so important for us to come clean to the table, participate in communion, and then in commission? We must remember Jesus. We must remember his sacrifice, his suffering. But then we are to live in what he purchased on the cross, and that's victory. Victory through the accomplishments of the cross. Communion happens at the table with the family, but then we do not stay at the table. Jesus calls us to go. And you can't have the commission without communion. And you can't have communion without the body, without the blood. And you can't have the body and the blood without the gospel. And the gospel is what we go and we teach and we preach. And it's our guideline to make disciples. The good news that he came, he bled, he died, he resurrected himself in power and paid a price that I could never pay. His blood. You see, commission is on the line. Eternity is in the balance. People need the gospel. They need to hear the good news. It's the only hope that a man has. You can send him money, you can send him food, you can send him shelter, but at the end of the day, what he really needs is for his soul to be saved. And Jesus established that it would be your job, your responsibility to be salt, to be light, and to carry the commission. But how are we to take the good news if we can't have communion? We must confess, we must commune, and then we must be about our Father's business and get on commission. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All my sins forgiven. My flesh coming under the subjection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want us to do before we come to the Lord's table, I want you to get into the privacy, the chapel of your heart. 
want you to really ask God to inspect your life, to inspect your heart. If you're here today and you're lost and you're undone and you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, this could be the greatest day of your life. If you're here today and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, but there's a thought that comes to mind, a caution, a red flag that comes up. If the cup comes by your way and you know you're not ready, in love and in warning, don't take that cup. You leave it there in the plate and you let it pass. We're going to open the altar. And before communion, we're going to have a season of prayer, of repentance and preparation. We're going to ask God to inspect all of us. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray. We're going to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. If you're here today and you're lost and you want to be saved, the Holy Ghost of God is drawing you. You're under conviction. Come and we'll take the word of God and show you what it says. Don't leave here today the same. Christian who's cold and complacent, this may be your warning that God wants your attention. He wants your heart and he wants all of it. Be tender to the Lord today as he inspects us. We'll pray now. Ask God to do what only he can. No one's going to sing. No one's going to pray publicly, but the altars are going to open. We'll pray. Those that are watching online, I invite you to do the same. Find a private place in your home, your office, wherever you're watching. If you're driving down the road, you too can pray. Ask God to inspect your heart. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence. And Lord, we thank you for grace and for mercy. We thank you for forgiveness. God, I thank you for the ability to live this life with a clean conscience. Lord, thank you for the great sacrifice, the suffering that you partook in on my behalf. Lord, I love you. I praise your holy name. Be with us now as we come to the table. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our minds. Lord, we want to come clean and prepared. Do it now as we remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastors, if you would get in position. Thank you, deacons, for being faithful to be at both 8 and 1030 to serve, to be a part. if you would please stand. The pastor's going to load you and prepare you to go to the sheep. A lot of symbolism here in what's take, what takes place inside the church. Our men faithfully serve this congregation with love, respect, and they're faithful. And every man that's serving you today, the expectation of him is from Scripture. The expectation is that he's a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. And I have complete confidence in the men that are serving you today. That's exactly who they are. And they have prayed and they have prepared and they're ready to serve you, the people. 
with clean hands, pure hearts. As you're served, I invite you to imagine that you're one of the disciples. It's just a few hours now before Jesus is betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what's coming. He's been telling you what's coming. And now you're getting ready to partake in the first Lord's Supper in the upper room. Let us think upon Christ and his love for us served. Praise the Lord for our deacons who have served the church. Deacons, you can come forward once the last has been served. The place where they kept your Lord and Savior before they crucified Him, the day before they brutally crucified Him, was in the house of Caiaphas. And inside that home, in the basement of that home, is a deep pit and that pit's dark it's pitch black there's no light source 8 to 12 feet down your Lord and Savior would have been placed by himself in the complete pitch black of aloneness I've often wondered what he was thinking about when he was in that pit I think it's safe to say that the same thing he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane was maybe on his mind there, that you were on his mind. He asked in the garden if there be another way, but not my will, thy will be done. Oh, what a Savior. Deacons, it's my honor to serve you men. God bless you. Thank you for serving the church. To each man, it's my honor to serve. I love you, my brother. Men, isn't it an honor to serve the Lord Jesus Christ together? Not only did he save us, 
Then he called us into service. And gave us a new name. Put a song in our heart. And a responsibility to love the people. To cherish them. And be the representative of Christ. I say praise the Lord. Pastors, I'm going to serve you. Granddaddy, serve you first. Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Will, Pastor Allen. have the honor and the privilege to serve with these men who are called to preach and to teach the word of God without fear and without favor. And they do so faithfully. I say praise the name of our Lord. Pastor Nathan, if you will now serve me. Thank you, buddy. Deacons, you can be seated. Thank you. I want you to take the bread now your cup. We'll start with the bread. Pastor Rory's going to read the scripture and as he does I want you to look at your piece of bread your cracker, your wafer. I want you to think about the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what Jesus himself said about what's in your hand. And he took bread and gave thanks. Break it. Gave it unto them saying this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Today we take the body, the remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we remember this do in remembrance of Him. Lord Jesus, we thank You for being that perfect sacrifice, the one holy Lamb that would change it all. Lord, I'm so thankful that You came humbly, and became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice, your love, the way you teach us even today through your word. We love you. We worship you. We magnify your holy name for you are good. And we thank you for giving your body as a perfect sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. You can carefully remove the lid for your juice. And listen to the scripture as Pastor Rory reads as we remember the blood. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. The covenant required blood and Jesus shed every drop for you and for me, so that I would have a way to the Father. I praise His holy name. Remember the blood, this do, in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for the blood that you shed. Thank you for every drop that fell from your brow, that leaked from your hands. Every drop of precious blood that came from your body, we thank you for it. We thank you for giving it. 
Lord, I thank you that you gave up the ghost willingly on the cross. You could have called battalions of angels and changed the whole sequence of redemptive history and left us here to die in our darkness and our sadness, destined to hell. But in love, in grace, and in mercy, you made a way when there was no way. And we worship you. We thank you for your blood. It's in Jesus' name the church prays together. Amen. Amen. Pastors, you may be seated. Church family, I want to draw your attention to one final thought as we close our service, remembering the Lord Jesus. In the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter, the 27th verse, and he took the cup just like you did. And he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood, the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's just run that rabbit trail and say, praise the Lord, he's coming soon. We're gonna have a big supper all together. In verse number 30, here's one I draw your attention to. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives. What did I tell you was being celebrated at this time? It's a Passover. The Passover had very specific hymns that were to be sung at Passover time. The Talmud had Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 as the halal hymns of praise, praising God for bringing the Hebrew children out of bondage in Egypt. And it says that they went out singing a hymn. Well, just good old investigation and thought, I would imagine that if these Jew boys were gonna sing a song on the way out from Passover, a different Passover than they'd ever had before, that they'd remember the Psalms of the season and they'd sing Psalm 113. Let me read that into your hearing as we leave today and go out praising the Lord in the victory. Psalm 113. Now I want you to close your eyes and imagine you're on the Mount of Olives. The disciples have come from the upper room. They've just broke bread with Jesus. Psalm 113 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of our Lord. Blessed be the name of our Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. And he raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. And today, as we leave in the victory, I want us to close with our voices raised, stand all over the building and together, twice, I want us to sing it. Let's sing it twice. Once to learn it, once to really drive it home. Let's thank our Lord. Let's praise him. Praise ye the Lord, O ye people. And let's sing together the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures.
Holy Father, in Jesus' name, take everything that's been done in this place today and be pleased. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you've done. Bless your people. Keep us safe until we come back together on Tuesday night. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your body. We thank you for the good news, the gospel message that changed our lives for time and for eternity. Now, Lord, help us to be about our Father's business and go with the good news. It's in Jesus' name the church prays together. Amen and amen. Be blessed, be safe, and do as unto others as they would have due to you. Be sweet, be kind, and we'll see you on Tuesday.